Now there's there's two of you on my screen. <laughs> Why? Oh no. Oh my. <laughs> there's like a Also main... we've been recording for thirty yeah. seconds. <laughs> By the way. Then hello. 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 Um no, there's a, a main U and then there's a little U, like a little thumbnail U right over my notes. For my story. Huh. I don't know why, but, you know, whatever. You know. I just get to look at you twice. I'm just gazing into your story, uh, I guess. Beautiful, yeah. Look, like, down to your right, lovingly. Down to my right? Yeah. There it is. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For context, anyone listening, we decided to do this with video for the first time because we're dumb dicks and like hadn't thought about doing it with video despite like many podcasters doing that. Here's the thing though. I had thought about it, but I was assuming because migraine, you were always in the dark. And so I was like, I wouldn't be able to see her anyways. Mm. Yeah. Um, So I, I had thought of it. I just didn't say anything like a dumb dick. (laughs) So I should have said something. Dumb dicks all around. All around. So many dumb dicks. Um, hi, it's nice to see you. Hi, it's nice to see you. How are you? I'm good. How's your two weeks been, right? It's been a minute. It's been been so long since I've, wow, how have I been? What am I, what am I doing? Um, it's been, it's been good. Um, everything's starting to blur together a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and now my class is over, so I don't really have, like, a project that I'm working on. Um, so I'm, like, redoing my resume and, re- you know, like, what yeah. can I work on in this time? Um, but, I mean, same old, same old. It's finally getting nice outside here. Today was 75 degrees, and I was actually, like, I started to sweat when I was walking around. And I was like, ugh. Wow. Wow. The yeah, it's been pretty nice here too. We went for a walk this morning. How are you? How have your two weeks been? I'm wearing my my hermit outfit right now. I love it. I'm a huge fan. Thanks. I couldn't decide if I wanted to wear a tank top or a t-shirt because it's been so long since it's been warm. I was like, will I be too cold in a tank top and shirt, <laughs> or will it be nice? And so yep. I went half and half. And chose a shirt that I had cut the neck out of because it was too, like, too close to my neck. Unfortunately, it's not a cute shirt. It's a Tullamore Dew shirt. And I got oh. it for free because bartending. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's like how I have a Tito's Vodka shirt that yeah. is a size XS. I have and... an XS um, Captain Morgan shirt. Yeah, yeah. Why? Why do any of these things exist? I don't know. Um, fun fact, I saw you actually, take a wait, fun fact about my uh my Captain Morgan shirt. It's so small. I'm clearly not in excess. Um, but it's nice peeper. Um, it's so small that the only way I could use it was like as an undershirt. But I didn't have any white undershirts, and so I was like, oh, this is great. I'll just use it. You know. As a normal white undershirt. And then I put it in my dresser and I forgot about it. So I forgot that the back. On like my tramp stamp area. Had the Captain Morgan logo. So I wore it as an undershirt. To a job interview. (laughs) 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 And did not realize until I got home. That you could see the skull and crossbones. On my lower back area. Amazing. I like to think that, like, when you, like, got up to leave that job interview, they saw that and they were like, that girl fucking gets it. But it wasn't just like, oh, she's got a tramp stamp of a skull and crossbones. It was also like, Captain Morgan. (laughs) No, that's what I mean. Like, that's even better. (laughs) I I like to think that those job interviewers were like, fuck yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they did not think that. Or if they did, somebody else had a cooler tramp stamp and got the job. Because I did not get that job. <laughs> uh, I like that a lot. It's a good time. Oh, so I took a swig of yep. uh, Radler. Good old lager with tangerine soda. 
from Spiteful Brewing Company. Oh. It's real, real nice. I like it. That sounds nice. Yeah, I've got a, a perb here. Um, those letters are in the wrong order. Nope, shut up. It's fine. And I have another perb on standby. Standby perb. <laughs> <laughs> it works. Also, uh, welcome to... No, we're going to make out! Yes. I was just about to say it. I thought we were in like a, we're going to cut this section. Nah. You literally nah, girl. probably going to cut all of this. Nah, girl. I mean, I'm probably going to talk cut this shit about like period poop, but like, I'll leave this part in. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a question for you that I think I already know the answer to, and I think you're going to be mad at me about it again. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure that you're going first, but what year was your babe born? I'm pretty sure I'm going first, too. Why would right. I be mad at you about that? Because last week when I was listening to the episode, you were like, ugh, this is like the third time that I've gone first in a row. I, I didn't oh. mean it like that. You were like, oh my God. <laughs> and I was, I picked this lady and I was like, oh man, she's going to go first again. <laughs> I didn't mean it like, uh, I hate going first. I was just like, dang, we thought that this was going to like balance out, but I'm just like super old ladies. <laughs> yeah. No, that's totally fine. I want I want a like gang of old women to be like roaming my town and call themselves super old ladies. That's I all that I want. To also do that. That's all that and I want. Wow, well, that sounds nice. Anyway, uh, my babe was born um, eighteen fifteen. Yep. Yeah, I figured I was going first for this one, um, which is fine. I yep. don't mind going first. Oh my god, you're so angry. Everybody, you can't see it, but like she's throwing a temper tantrum. She just sounds really pleasant. But in reality, she's so furious. Livid. So I'm fuming, actually. Um, when so was bad. your babe born, out of curiosity? How how much am I going first? By quite a lot, considering that my babe is still alive. Oh, like over 100 years. Cool, 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 cool. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, then, so. Taylor. Sit back. Yes. In your hermit outfit. Have I'm get your... take a creepy picture of us, by the way. <laughs> but I'm not gonna do it right now because I want it to be nice and candid. Right when I'm, I'm just, just letting like... you know that I'm gonna take a creepy and picture of us. And then the patriarchate. Yeah, um... just like emote a lot. Sure. Okay. Okay. Taylor. Yes. Campbell. Have yes. you ever heard of Ada Lovelace? Yes. Oh my God. I love this story. Yes. So, so much. I'm so mad about this because she's been on my list for so long. I love this story so much. Ah, oh. all right. Great. I'm stoked. I wish I could. I mean, this isn't her technical nickname, but like, it's kind of like Ada couldn't be bothered to give a fuck. Lovelace. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, no, I, I think that we should like edit Wikipedia and make that. Yeah. Make that her nickname. Yeah, it'll get approved. It'll last for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Okay, <clears throat> so Ada Lovelace. She was born Augusta Ada Byron on December 10th, 1815 in London. She was the only, quote unquote, legitimate, because always with the legitimacy of children. You know. They're all children, whatever. Right. Um, but she was, <laughs> she was the only real person, child. That was born of Lord Byron, the poet. Oh. Um, so she was the only one of his many children that inherited his name and title and everything. And all of his other little not real people children were just like shit out of luck, I guess. Rough. Yeah. Um, but even though her first name is Augusta, everybody just calls her Ada. So her father's this poet. He's romantic. He's what? I love the name Augusta because it means that a lady could be named Gus, <laughs> which I think she's is a, one of the cutest things I've ever heard in my life. Can you imagine like some like cute lady name. named Gus? Yeah. Oh my God. Super old ladies is absolutely led by a lady named Gus. Yeah. No, she's the gang leader for sure. Great. Oh, they wow. walk around and they, they just aggressively knit at you. Oh, they make sure that everybody's well fed and having a good time and safe. They got band-aids in their pockets just in case. 
cute, and they all have that like big, like bouffanty old lady hair. Except for Gus, who has rollers with a bandana over them, because hers are still. Yeah, hers. totally like the queen. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't wait until we're old enough to be part of Super Old Ladies and find our own Gus. Wow. I'm going to change my name to Gus. Please do. I'm begging you. Okay. <clears throat> but only when I'm like 70. So. Yeah. Well, you got to do your time. You can't just like right. no. be a, a young lady, Gus. That's no, you have fun. to age into a Gus. Age into a Gus. Yeah. Anyway. <clears throat> I kind of want to call her Gus now. Anyway, but she's not. She's Ada. Here we go. Um, okay. So her father's this poet. He's romantic. He sounds like a really wealthy 1815 hippie. If that okay. is a thing, which drove his wife, Ada's mother, Annabella, absolutely bonkers. Because Annabella was like really into math, really into religion. She was super strict. He called her the princess of parallelograms because oh. like she's like she wanted everything oh. clean cut. She's strict. Oh, she just no. like so they had a very short marriage. Um, I bet. And like a month after Ada was born, Annabella took her and left Byron. Which might have been because he had a whole bunch of kids with a whole bunch of other women. I mean, who knows? You know. um, but the law at the time stated that the father always got parental rights over children if the parents split. You know, because how could a woman possibly take care of a child anyway? It's fine, it's fine, it's fine. You know. Um, but Lord Byron being, you know, flighty, I guess. Uh, renounced all parental rights and gave Annabella complete parental rights over Ada. Um, and then he moved to Greece and eight years later he died. So he's that's he's out of the story. Goodbye. Okay. She never met him and her mother only showed her a picture of him when she turned 20. Because Annabella hated him. And she was wow. like, I would, I would like to know who my father is, please. And her mother was like, absolutely not. He's the most. Hard pass. Hard pass. Sorry. So as a kid, Ada got sick a lot, which is a bummer. Um, and she often suffered from, quote, headaches that blocked out her vision. <gasps> Wouldn't you know it? Oh, dang. Yep. Ada, Ada got them migraines. Oh, dang. Um, but she was obsessed with how art and science, like, came together and how they interconnected. And she became obsessed with the idea of flight. So she went about it super methodically and started researching birds and what materials she could make um, wings out of. And so she was like, should I use feathers? Should I use paper? Should I use silk? Should I use a combination of all these? So she begins extensive research and then wrote and illustrated a guide that she called flyology. Very clever. Cute. To record Cute. all of her findings because she was 12 years old. Oh, my God. Yeah. Extensive research wow. and illustrating a guide when she's 12. Ugh, can you imagine how cute that guidebook is? I cannot. I truly cannot. Holy shit. But unfortunately. Even if it's, like, really well-researched, like, it's still written by a 12-year-old, so it's going to yeah, be adorable. It's going to be adorable. What did the wings look wow. like? What did her handwriting look like when she wrote flyology? Oh, my God. I love it flyology <laughs> wow it's the best unfortunately the princess of Par parallelograms was not pleased by any of this um and so she found it she freaked out and insisted that she needed to focus on things of fact and rational studies none of this fanciful flying nonsense okay ew um, yeah it's a bummer so in her effort did you just take a picture? Why are you smiling? I did, and I was trying to get... Damn it, I missed it. I was trying to get when you scratched your nose, and you were like... <laughs> it just itches a little bit. I was really hoping, but no, I missed it. Um, so Lady Byron, um, she's trying to suppress her daughter's imagination. Super fun mom. Um, That's a cool mom thing to do. Oh, yeah. Um, she saw it as dangerous and potentially destructive and coming from the Byrons. So pretty much everything that came from her dad's side. Her child's imagination? Yes. Potentially destructive. <laughs> yes. And dangerous. Don't forget. It could harm people. Wow. So anything that came 
possibly from her father's side. She was like, absolutely not. Um, so she insisted that she study arithmetic, music, and French. And math and science were not super common for women to study in those days. And so part of it was because her mom was super into math. But she thought that if she learned math and science, it would keep her from becoming a romantic. Because she was like, these are the worst. I don't know. I don't know how she <laughs> felt about it. But um, she also, this is my least favorite fact. Uh, or maybe favorite. I can't tell. She made Ada lie completely still for extended periods of time to make her learn self-control. Which, ew, would you not just nap at that point? Yeah, but like... Like, I feel like the idea of, like, having to stay totally still would make me not be able to nap. Especially if it, like, if someone came to me now and was like, you have to lie right there. Don't move for three hours. I'd be like, oh, no. But as a child, that would be, like, debilitating. Yeah. Mm. Ugh. Mom of the year sucks. Terrible. Um, so... Little did mom know that little child, actual child Ada was seeing the ways that beauty and fluidity in music worked in and through mathematics. And so she saw art and science working together and saw imagination in math. Wow. Me too. No, I super, I, oh yeah. I I see so many imaginations in math. Not just mine, but other people's. There's just imaginations everywhere. But one of her right, Ada, Ada later wrote in her life, um, quote, imagination is the discovering faculty preeminently. It is that which penetrates into the unseen worlds around us, the worlds of science. And I love that. Super cool. Um, so she has incredible tutors growing up because Lord and lady and money. Right. One of which was Mary Somerville, who is now on my list (laughs) as a babe to do. Yeah. She's so cool. Um, for those who don't know, she is a Scottish astronomer and mathematician and one of the first women to be accepted into the Royal Astronomical Society. So dope. Be accepted into the what? The Royal Astronomical Society. Cool. Yep. And casual. Very casual. I actually looked into her and I was like, I have not set aside enough time to research this week to truly understand <laughs> what she is talking about. Yep. Um, so Ada and Mary become super close. I would imagine partially because they're two ladies that are really into math and science in the early 1830s. Mm-hmm. It was probably not the coolest thing to do. Um. Wait, the early 1830s? Didn't mm-hmm. you say she was born in 1815? Mm-hmm. She's a teenager. She's like 17. Yeah, when she was 17. That's how my next sentence starts. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. Yeah. So Ada's 17. She attends a flamboyant party mm, of London mm. socialites. And she's like making her debut as a lady or whatever. Um, But because she's friends with Mary, she ends up meeting this guy named Charles Babbage. I had so much fun typing Babbage over and over (laughs) in this story. (laughs) Uh, That's all that I'm going to call cabbage now. Babbage. Babbage. You get some Babbage? Um, Babbage and cabbage. (laughs) I'm picturing them like Babbage and cabbage. Two best friend rabbits that are like (laughs) rough around the edges and like rascals, little thieves. I was picturing like Starsky and Hutch. (laughs) Sure, but rabbits. <laughs> <laughs> Babbage and cabbage. Stars can hutch, but make them rabbits. But make them rabbits. And that's Babbage and cabbage. I love it. I'm so into it. I can't stop it. <laughs> oh, I love it so much. <clears throat> anyway, Charles Babbage. <laughs> um, he is a widower in his 40s who keeps talking to everyone excitedly about an invention that he had called the difference machine that was built of a tower of wheels and numbers that made calculations when you turned the handle. And I love the idea of this older for the time forties, older widow guy at this flamboyant party being like, no, you guys, you turn the wheel, you guys, 
and then the <laughs> other wheels. And then it tells you the calculation for you. And they're like, two plus two is four. What do you want from me? Uh, just I like even more the idea that his the whole invention is only for like single digits. <laughs> basic math. He just seems like the life of the party. And I love that Ada found him and was like, oh, fuck yeah. We're going to be buttons. Yeah, into it. Um. So yeah, he basically is describing a basic calculating computer he's later called the father of the computer and ada is like oh fuck yeah and so later she goes to his house to like see the actual machine herself they begin corresponding back and forth they become like mentor best friend thing nothing weird or romantic or sexual or anything like they're just they're just good time mentor babbage and they're babbage and cabbage yeah oh Um, my god cute uh, um so he sees her brilliance and is like, you shouldn't be hindered at all. You should let your brain do whatever it's going to do. So he facilitated her being able to study advanced mathematics with a university professor at 17. Wow. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. Um, he was also working on a machine that he called the analytical engine that did more complex calculations. And I know you know the story, like, so you're smiling. It's like multiplication rather than addition yeah so you guys times two uncle you guys it's it's still four (laughs) but ada understood every part of it and it said that she served as its interpreter so she's like the one doing everything so then babbage went to turin to promote his work and he met a italian mathematician and engineer named here we go uh luigi frederico menabrea okay Mm. Um, who agreed to write a paper on the machine. So this Italian guy wrote a paper in French for a Swiss publication because languages. Sure. About this analytical engine. And then um, Ada spent like nine months translating it into English and taking notes in the margins. Her version... Wow. Clocked in at 20,000 words, which uh, Babbage later wrote, the notes of the Countess of Lovelace extended to about three times the length of the um, length of the um, original memoir. <laughs> but I just love the idea of her taking notes and being like, yeah, but also, but also this. And like, also yeah. we can do this. So her translation and her notes were published in 1843 in the English Science Journal. And she published them under the name just AAL, just her initials, because women. Um, and she wrote how it could be not only used for mathematical calculations, but she talked about how it could weave letters, numbers, and symbols into algebraic patterns, the way silk is woven to make images, which is a very cool metaphor. Yeah. Um, and so she, she thought, man, this is so crazy. She thought the science of operations and calculations had abstract truth and could be used to write music or countless other things. So she was trying to like separate the idea of calculating from computing in everybody's brain. Okay. Her notes in one section in particular have been analyzed over and over note G as it is detailed. And it basically writes out how a bunch of punched cards weave a long list of numbers in a sequence. And so she like figures all of this out and she, in the margins writes the first ever algorithm. And so like while she was translating, she wrote the first computer program ever (laughs) in casual 1842. So she saw computing as the language through which to communicate what was happening in the natural world to predict patterns, to perceive changes in nature. And it drew zero attention in her lifeline. Ugh. Yeah. People were like, those crazy math geeks. And that lady. Yeah. Zero attention. Nobody cared. And it basically was lost to the world until like the 40s. Um, wow. She and Babbage <laughs> were Cute. going back and forth at the time about whether or not AI could exist. Because she didn't think it was possible because she was like, well, the machine can predict patterns, but it can't invent them or improvise them. And in the 1800s? Like, in, the were... eight, 
in the 1840s, they're We're talking about, about, AI? about AI. What? It is. Wow. I, I don't understand. So years and years later, more modern times, her work is constantly debated. There's this dude who's a Babbage historian. His name's Bruce Collier. Collier, whatever. Um, and he argued that her contribution has been greatly overstated. And, quote, here we go. <clears throat> it is no exaggeration to say that she was a manic depressive and with the most amazing delusions about her own talent and a rather shallow understanding of Babbage and the analytical engine. How Ew! That? Yeah, no, it's awful. Yeah. Um, wow, so so what, because she was a manic depressive, that means that she didn't contribute anything? <laughs> yeah. I'd be uh. like, you struggle with illness and migraines since your childhood and don't have manic depression. <laughs> um, but multiple other historians reject the interpretation and have said, quote, as people realized how important computer programming was, there was a greater backlash in an attempt to reclaim it as a male activity. Yeah. Just. Um, which a lot of this is coming from one specific article that I'll get to but um one person specifically told the journalist quote in order to keep that wealth and power in a man's hands there's a backlash to try and redefine it as something a woman didn't do shouldn't do and couldn't do it is something that many women working in tech are only too familiar with yep Ugh. wow yeah dang yeah. by the way that was the quote from betsy morris from the new yorker and i love her but it was just like so many people. Were I was like, gonna no. say that has to be a quote from a lady. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's such a good synopsis of what like so many people that we've covered in this podcast have had happen. Yes. That that could only be written by a lady. Yeah. It is something that many women working in tech are only too familiar with. Fuck. Yeah. Ugh, it's awful. Um. Also, in her life, she married. She became the Countess of Lovelace. She had three kids. She loved horses. And sure. then, you know, just just some stuff. Casual. Um, but then she gets super into gambling. And she got entangled with a syndicate of dudes that were gambling at horse races. And she was like, you guys, I can create a mathematical system that can predict which horse will win. And they were like, dope. And then it super failed. And so she was like real deep in debt to this gam gambling syndicate. And I love her so much. She is still struggling with illness through this whole time. And it really, her health really started to decline after she had a bout of cholera. Her health starts to really decline in 1837. She then developed asthma and digestive issues and uterine cancer. Which her super cool doctors started treating with opium, laudanum, and bloodletting. Wow. And so all the historical It's crazy that, like, she lived in a time where she was talking about AI, but then also, like, bloodletting was a yeah. medical solution to things. That's, yeah. that's such a strange crossover. It makes no sense. And everything <laughs> says, like... Her cancer was made worse by the bloodletting. Like, it only exacerbated it. Because of course. Wow. Because of course. Yeah. Um, it is also said that her personality drastically changed and she started having hallucinations. Um, but she had wanted Babbage, good guy Babbage, to good be Babbage. the executor of her will. But her mother insisted that she do it. And then immediately cut off her contact with all of her, like, friends and confidants and everything. And her mother controlled her every moment once she was on bed rest. So, like, did her personality actually change or was it forced on her? You know? Yeah. Um, her mother forced her to repent her previous conduct and into a religious transformation, which sounds super genuine and not at all horrible in every way. Right. Right. It's you have to force Very someone chill. to a religion. Okay. Um, 
She ended up dying of her cancer on November 27th, 1852. She was 36 years old. And oh, my God. Yeah, she was super young. And as per her final request, she was buried next to the father she never met. So she's buried next to the wow. father. Yeah. Um, the analytical engine never actually came into being. It was just, although people have analyzed her notes and have been like, no, this would have totally worked. This algorithm would have worked. Um, but her notes became one of the critical documents to inspire Alan Turing's work, making one of the first modern computers in the 40s, which now really makes me want to watch Imitation Game. Wow. That movie. Um, in the late 70s, Great. the Department of Defense developed a software language that they named Ada, and it brought together different programming languages which they found really fitting for Ada because she was like the woman who rode horses and gambled and played the harp and studied poetry and also invented computers to like bring yeah. all of these weird elements together. And now the second Tuesday in October is the Ada Lovelace day, which the like honors women in science, technology, engineering, mathematics, all of that. And that is the story of Ada wow. Lovelace. Giver of no fucks. That's great. I thought it was really cool. Love that. Um, to quickly source my shit, Britannica, biography.com, these wonderful places, Wikipedia, that Betsy Morais article from The New Yorker. And then there's a website called findingada.com that's like a brief article by this woman named Sydney Padua who wrote a book called The Thrilling Adventures of Lovelace and Babbage. Oh, wow. It's Talk about a movie cutest, I need. I know. It's the cutest title. And now she just needs to tweak it a little bit to be the thrilling adventures of Babbage and Cabbage and then animate it. Babbage and Cabbage. And yeah. I'm all over it. Wow. Yeah, that's Ada Lovelace. And I love her. Good job. Thanks. Thanks, thanks. It's a great time. Uh, Ooh, I'm so glad okay. I got to snag her from you like you snagged the Fox sisters from me. Yep. Um, okay, we're going to travel over to 1937. We're going to go straight over to Soviet Russia. Okay. Sure. If you could so, point it out for me on the map behind you, that would be dynamite. Oh, um, it's like, it's like way the fuck up there. Great. Got it. Have you ever heard of? Valentina Tereshkova. No. Oh, yes. Okay, great. I was so, really worried because I have like a, a crazy badass Russian babe on my list. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, I'm good. We're good. Um, <laughs> um, okay, so Valentina is born March 6th, 1937 in Maslenikovo, Russia. <laughs> Get it, girl. Really, at this point, in 1937, it's the USSR. It's not Russia yet. Right. So, Soviet Union still. Um, so, this is about 170 miles north of Moscow. Um, so, her parents worked on something called a collective farm. Which I don't really know what that is, but I assume that it's, like, they can live and work on this big farm. Yeah. Where, like, and it's also, like, communist Russia. So, like, yeah, like everyone is working, like, for the same thing, I guess. So, I don't know. There's like a, there's a lot of communism shit in this that I like sure. kind of only vaguely understand. So um, her mom worked in a textile mill because um, when she was two, not her mom, when Valentina was two, her dad was killed in World War II. So then her mom was left supporting her and her two siblings. So she starts working in this textile mill. Um, Valentina left school when she was 16. And then later when she was 18, she starts working in this textile mill too to help support the family. Um, so while she's working, she's still taking correspondence courses to finish her education, though. So eventually, this is a fun little tie-in from last week, eventually, Valentina joins a club for parachutists. Yes! Tiny! <laughs> because I love I love parachuting ladies, apparently. <laughs> Tiny! So, um, so Valentina was also obsessed with parachuting. Um, I promise this isn't just going to become tiny broadwick part two i mean um, what if this just became so a in parachuting an, podcast 
I really wouldn't be mad about it, honestly, because apparently all parachutists are fucking insane. Yeah. And I am extremely into it. So um, in an interview with The Guardian, um, Valentina said, quote, I did night jumps, too, onto land and water. It's a very different experience, but both are wonderful. I learned to wait as long as possible before pulling the cord just to feel the air. 40 seconds, 50 seconds. It's not really falling. You experience enormous pleasure from the sensation of your whole body. It's marvelous. She's, like, so into being a thrill seeker. It's wild. She's just like, yeah, like, I just like falling through the air, plummeting but, towards but the ground. But, Taylor, it's not really falling. It's absolutely falling. You're Super jumping falling. out of a fucking plane and plummeting towards the ground. That's all that you're doing. So um, in 1961, um, Valentina volunteers for the Soviet space program after Yuri Gagarin becomes the first man in space. So this is like peak space race mm-hmm. between the U.S. and America. So, um, so Yuri Gagarin apparently was only like a month before the U.S. got Alan Shepard into space. And then the U.S. got the first man on the moon, obviously. So it's just kind of this like constant thing. Mm -hmm. So early space travel required cosmonauts to parachute out of their capsules upon re-entry to Earth, um, often only giving them like seconds before they hit the ground, which is so chill. So, So despite not having any pilot experience, Valentina volunteers for this program based on the fact that she's great at parachuting. So at this point, there were, like, every article had different numbers for how many jumps she had performed by this point, but it was somewhere between 90 to 150. That was the range that I saw. So either way, a fuckload of jumps that she had. Um, So she's like, yeah, I can do this. I'm super qualified. So what Valentina doesn't know is that the Soviets are looking at beating the U.S. in another part of the space race and being the first group to send a woman into space. So the Soviets went and picked four women total, including Valentina, to be to be potentially the first ones to be into space. So the Soviets picked um, in total three parachutists and one pilot. Um, and so this is in 1962. She starts training to become a cosmonaut. Fun fact. Mm. If you're talking about America, they're astronauts. If you're talking about Russia, they're cosmonauts. So all four of them are put through rigorous, like obviously, training. Um, They're put through centrifuge rides, zero-G flights. They're eventually commissioned into being lieutenants in the Soviet Air Force. And they're taught how to fight, which like just in case like aliens. Aliens. I guess. I don't know. So... um, Despite the other women also being chosen, Valentina Tereshkova is the only one selected to actually go into space. And on June 16th, 1963, she becomes the first woman to travel into space. As the spacecraft is lifting off, she says, hey, Sky, take off your hat. I'm on my way. I know. (laughs) I know. I love her so much. So um, she ends up being in space for almost three days. Um, she orbits the Earth 48 times in the Vostok 6 spacecraft. Um, up until then, so to put it into perspective, Yuri Gagarin, who's the, the, guy, the first guy that went into space, he only orbited the Earth once. She did it 48 times. Um, so, like, women get shit done. So, secret, secret. They're Russian, so they had a secret. Sure. They're Soviets. Can't can't let anything slip out because otherwise it might be bad news bears for your like general world image. So apparently when she was supposed to be heading back to earth, um, an error got sent in the spacecraft's automatic navigation system and start sending her away from earth instead of bringing her back. And she noticed it first and called down and was like, Hey, what the fuck? Like, kind of going the wrong direction and they were able to send her up a new algorithm to fix it but then she's sworn to secrecy about the mistake because the soviets didn't want it to get out and and make it look like they had fucked up so she's sworn to secrecy and because of this it was pretty clear that like something had happened but because nobody was talking about what it was there was this rampant rumor that she was super insubordinate while she was while she was orbiting and there were like all these weird rumors that she got like really really sick and like wasn't fit for it and like hadn't undergone medical tests and all of this which like 
obviously she did go under medical test yeah. to go into fucking space and she's like come out since and been like yeah no i got sick but not like deathly sick like i got sick because i was living in a confined space in space for three days <laughs> like yeah i got sick of course so um dude so so she's sworn to secrecy about the mistake for 40 years and only starts actually talking about it after the guy died man so um june 19th she re-enters earth's atmosphere she ejects at 20,000 feet and parachutes safely back to the ground casual um so now that she's successfully done it she's hot shit right oh yeah so she's she is dubbed um, the hero of the Soviet Union. She receives the Order of Lenin and the Gold Star Medal, which I'm assuming are like big deals. Yeah, probably pretty or, like, cosmos, pretty cool thing. Probably like big, huge deal. I don't know. So later that year, she marries fellow cosmonaut Andrian Nikolaev. I'm sure I'm saying that flawlessly. Yeah. Um, the following June, they had a daughter, Yelena. Yelena apparently was medically studied since she was the first offspring ever of two people who had spent time in space. Huh. So they were like trying to see if like there was something weird about her DNA, which like, I don't know why there would be, but it's like that thing of like NASA having that yeah. one twin. that's the, that's an astronaut and they're like studying both of them, you know, yeah. you got to study it just in case. Um, so this is another thing that has like some, some like weird Soviet shit around it. There's there was one article that suggested that Valentina and Adrian got married at the urging of Nikita Khrushchev, who was the Soviet leader at the time, because of the optics of like, look how good our space program is. We have two astronauts that got or cosmonauts that got married together and like just using them basically as propaganda. Yeah. I only saw that in one place, but that sure sounds like a Soviet thing to do. So Yeah, that sounds incredibly believable. Yeah, like real, real Soviet. So um, they eventually divorced in 1980. She got remarried. That's sure. kind of it. Um, so in 1969, she graduates from the Zukovsky Military Air Academy, and she becomes a prominent member of the Communist Party, representing the USSR all over the world, um, like at the International Women's Conference and shit. Um, she's head of the Soviet Committee for Women from 1968 to 1987. She was on postage stamps. She has a crater of the moon named after her. Oh. So, um, so she only ever did that one flight. That's it. That's all she ever did. And then kind of from then on out has been, like, to this day, been kind of just touring and, like, speaking about space and, like, kind of just a face of Russia, really prominent face of Russia, because she's just a famous russian that helped russia ultimately not really win the space race because we were the first ones to the moon but like big leaps and bounds in the space race depending anyways i'm sure depending on which country you're from winning the space race looks very different and you also it's such a subjective thing that like yeah like yeah we were the first ones to the moon but they were the first in literally every other aspect so like yeah what is the actual finish Um, line of this race yeah So in 2015, the Science Museum in London had an exhibit called Cosmonauts Birth of the Space Age. Um, She attended the opening and they ended up having her spacecraft, the Vostov 6, on display. And so she called it her lovely one and, quote, my best and most beautiful friend, my best and most beautiful man. I love her. Oh, her like little thing. And it's, like, tiny. It's, like, a little tiny, like, capsule that she was in, basically. Um, So now Valentina is very – she's, like, very active in using her platform to, like, speak out about, like, hey, we should all just be chill and, like, be really nice to each other all the time. So in this Guardian article, um, she is – talking about the guardian article is called the first woman in space people shouldn't waste money on wars as a quote from her um so she says quote our planet suffers from human activity from fires from war we have to preserve it when you're up there you're homesick for earth as your cradle when you get back you just want to get down and hug it i love her so much but that's got to be like a crazy perspective changer because like every time you travel anywhere your perspective changes right but to go out of the world yeah. and see every angle of it 48 times man 
Yeah. And she just talks about how, like, how small it feels after you're, like, out there, which I'm sure. I mean, how could it not be? You can see literally the entire thing out of your window. Yeah, I can't even imagine. Yeah, that would, that would, that would make it feel very, very small. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I just love that that's, like, what her whole thing is now is, like, hey, we should chill out because we're all living in this same real small area. So Valentina is currently 83. She is still alive. And she is still touring and speaking on behalf of space travel. And is that she is part of the gang. Oh my God. She's like the leader. She's Gus. She's Gus. She's Gus. Ah, oh, yes. So um, that's, yeah, that's the story of Valentina Tereshkova, the first woman in space. Dude. Dude. I love her. And she's, she's a parachutist. Right. should all chill. <laughs> Oh, so cute. And like this Guardian article, she just talks about parachuting. And it's like, yeah, no, it fucking rocks. Like, I love it. So good. I love that you love parachutists and want nothing to do with parachuting. No, I have no. It it makes it no. Um, Okay, so to source my shit. um, First and foremost, that Guardian article, The First Woman in Space, quote, people shouldn't waste money on wars, written by Mary Dijevsky. Um, there's a space.com article, Valentina Tereshkova, first woman in space written by Tim Sharp, history.com, Smithsonian national air and space museum, and then biography.com. I'm a shit. Amazing. What cool babes. Such cool babes. Such cool science babes this week. Such cool science babes. Keep it with the themes. Mm-hmm. Um, I both loved flying. Oh, I just... I want a little cartoon of flyology. I think that'd be really cute. Oh my God. I want a little cartoon of this entire episode. There are so many cartoonable things. This there episode. are a lot of cartoonable things this episode. That's true. Um, who's your babe? My babe this week is actually, um, Trevor Noah. Oh, I just finished his memoir and it is bonkers. Yep. Um, I think he's written multiple books. I finished born a crime and it's, I mean, every, every human being should read that book. It is so, so good. His life has been so insane and he has a very, um, mature, ability to look at these horrible things that have happened and be like, this taught me this, this taught me this. I learned, you know, whatever. And it's very applicable to every human being's life. It's really, it's quite good. Um, and then I found an article this morning that said that he was paying the salary of all of his furloughed crew out of his pocket. Yep. Cause Viacom's not doing it. And that's just the coolest thing. And coolest. I already was like, what a cool dude. And then I read that and I was like, okay. Yeah. Man. Just it's, it gives me hope seeing people like that with a platform like he has. And I hope that people read and listen and pay attention. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Definitely. It's a good book. Everybody should read it. That's been on my list for a long time. So. It was on mine too. And I was, it was like oh, next. I'll get that for quarantine was, reading. Yeah. It was the next one I was going to get from the library and then the library shut down. Mm. And so I found like a discount books website and um, I got their used books. And so I got that one and I got Becoming by Michelle Obama. So stay Ooh. tuned. She's most likely going to be my babe next week. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Good Who's one. Your babe? Um, I think that my babe has to be, the entire crew of Parks and Rec because we watched the special that oh. they did and it was it's literally the only Zoom theater or show or something that hasn't significantly bummed me out because it's so it felt like I mean it, it was just such a nice thing of like yeah. all of these characters that are so lovely and like nostalgic at this point and then like having it I don't know it was just so nice and like it was great that they used it as a fundraiser and that that just kept popping up throughout the episode yeah. and it like was talking just about mental health and yeah so good like the idea that they made so much of an effort to be like hey it's okay 
however you're feeling during this is okay. Like, mm-hmm. cause this is not normal. So it's fine. This is, it's all fine. However you're feeling. Um, and I just am so into it and it made me just feel so nice. So I think that they're all my babes. Oh, I loved it. And like, it was fun to see each of their homes. Yeah. And totally. Trevor and I were talking, I was like, I wonder how much of those costume pieces they had. Um, and like, if they had to be sent anything. Yeah. They only like had to, they only had to like, um, like mail a few different props to people, but otherwise it was just like whatever they had at their house. I really, really, really hope that the actor that plays Jeremy Jam already had that robe. And I really, really hope that the lady that plays Joan Calamezzo already had that giant painting of herself. A giant painting. <laughs> all the dolls. She was just, that is how her living room looks all the time. That, I, was incredible. that was incredible. I loved that. Man. Oh, dude. We should do this video thing all the time. <laughs> I agree. It's so fun. It's fun. I love this. I love, I love this. And I love you. And everybody that is listening, if you're still listening, we're Sorry. a big fan of you guys. And thank you. You know so, what, Taylor? I would like to cordially welcome you to leave Babe Town now. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I would like to escort you out of Babe Town. Right the fuck out. <laughs> I feel so escorted. Thank Good. you. Good. I'm so glad. <laughs> Get the fuck out. <laughs> um, let's do this again soon, yeah? Yeah. Do you want to do it in like a week or so? Okay, great. Great. I love it. Great. 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 <laughs> Somehow uh, being able to see each other has made our goodbyes even worse. I think it's made a lot of things worse. Um, but <laughs> also, if anyone listening is a good artiste, or cartoonist, may we please, please have a drawing of Babbage, Babbage and Cabbage. And maybe Gus with her rollers. And the super old and ladies. super old ladies. <laughs> the SOLs. <laughs> uh, I love this. Yeah. So very much. I do too. So much. <laughs> um, all right, friends. Love you, friends. Enjoy your cereal. Love you. Thanks. Enjoy your soup. Thank you. (laughs) Bye. Bye.